Hello and welcome to another episode of Save the Track Bike. I'm your host, Joshua. So, this is episode 11, and apparently I was reading somewhere that most podcasts don't even make it to the 10th episode, so this is a milestone, I guess. Uh, So thanks all of you guys for your support, and yeah, it's rad. Tell your friends about us, post about it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And on today's episode, I've got Angus Morton. Um, so Angus is is uh, a road cyclist. Uh, he is a filmmaker. He has a podcast called Disc Breaks. And recently he decided to quote unquote retire from uh, pro cycling. Um, but this year he's coming back and he's racing the Red Hook crit with specialized rocket espresso and so we talk about that we talk about his films thereabouts we talk about his podcast and then yeah we talk a little bit about a lot of stuff so i hope you enjoy it All right, so I'm here with Angus Morton, filmmaker, cyclist, podcaster. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm Gus, uh, Angus. Um, yeah, I'm an Australian living in America, and uh, I ride bikes and, uh, yeah, occasionally try and make a film. Nice. So, yeah, you did uh, the Therabout films. Do you want to talk about those a little bit? I'm a huge fan of those. So thanks, man. I uh, I, I I appreciate the uh, the support. Um, yeah. So so I, my younger brother and I, uh, Lachlan, um, have kind of done a series of films, I guess, uh, called Thereabouts, uh, which are like I guess cycling documentaries um, about I don't know about what riding means to us. I think is 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 the uh, is the essence of them and. And then our relationship with, with bike riding and, and I guess trying to find like the root of, of our love of the sport uh, and overcoming a bunch of different, um, I guess, different issues that we've had, that we had with the sport and, you know, I guess hang-ups uh, that we've had with the sport and bits and pieces like that. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of born out of uh, uh, I had left the sport and, and was working in, in, in uh, film and television and was 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 still looking for kind of like a, a, a creative outlet, I guess. And, and Lockie was in a similar boat, but in the world tour, was kind of looking for you know a way to express himself. And, and we sort of came together. Uh, he 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 called me one day and said, "Let's uh, do you want to go and ride across the country?" And I kind of hadn't touched a bike in in many years and hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> uh, but when he said that. I was like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You know, um, I want to go and, and meet real people and, and, and hear real stories uh, and, and document those. And and I want to do it with my brother. And uh, and Lockie was the same way. And so off we went. And I guess, uh, you know, unknowingly, when we first set off on that on that journey, it, it kind of changed both of our lives quite dramatically and ultimately led me back to the sport of cycling and, uh, and sitting here now on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we should, uh, so 
Well, let's go back to like how you and your brother got into cycling or specifically you since you're on the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're both linked, I guess. Um, we grew up, uh, in, in the mid North coast of, of New South Wales, Australia, which is, uh, you know, I guess a, a town called Port Macquarie halfway between Sydney and Brisbane, uh, if anyone knows the East coast of Australia. So, you know, like, uh, quite a warm climate. We, we lived out in a farm, um, and my old man raced, uh, motor cars, you know, was always into like, uh, motorbikes and that sort of stuff. And, 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 and was quite competitive, I guess. So <laughs> we, we started riding our bikes, we started riding push bikes at about three. Uh, and I very like, like I remember being like put onto a bike and then my dad kind of like grabbing the handlebars and the saddle and like going, okay, you're ready. Like <laughs> as soon as I let go, just pedal as hard as you can. And then, like, slingshotting me, uh, like, like <laughs> slingshotting me across the lawn, and I would just tumble over. And we kind of repeated that until eventually I, I, I could ride. And that was when I was quite young. And then, and then, I, it feels like almost immediately after I could ride a, a, a push bike, um, I had a motorbike. And so I would have been four. I would have only been four years of age, and, and I was on a motorbike. And, and we had a, a, a family that lived next door to us that had a couple of boys. One was, one was a couple of years older than I was and one was the same age. And I was super competitive with this older kid at like four years of age <laughs> motorbike. And, and, uh, and so we started riding motorbikes and, you know, kind of with the plan of progressing into go-karts and, and whatever else. And, and I don't know, I guess when you start something so young, um, you don't, that apprehension and that fear, it doesn't, it doesn't manifest uh, in your brain. And so I was just had no fear of speed um, and no comprehension of speed. And, uh, and anyway, I was, I was addicted to it. And, and at six years of age, seven years of age, I was like, I'm going to be a Formula One driver. And, uh, and after several pretty bad accidents on our motorbikes, um, my parents were like, okay, we're going to chill, chill for a year. And this would have been when I was about eight um, or about to be eight. And, and they sort of said, we're going to chill for a bit. And, uh, and, in one year's time, we'll get you a go-kart and, you know, you can start racing go-karts. And I was like, you know, I was like hamstrung. I was like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this is happening. Like, this is kind of funny to think, but I very distinctly remember being like, my dream is over <laughs> at like seven years of age. Oh, no. uh, and, 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 and in my mind, the way that it plays out is I was sort of given that news and then the following morning I – walked past the television and there was an ad for the Tour de France and they were going fast, like super fast. And I was like, wait a second, are they on their bikes? And, uh, and yeah, they were. And I was like, man, they're going pretty quick. I was like, I reckon, I reckon I could get a bit of a, a rush out of that. I reckon it's a good vibe. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding, man. Like I just saw this one ad. Didn't, I'd never seen the Tour de France, like saw the ad never watched the stage, never like engaged any further than that. And I just went downstairs, got my old mountain bike and just went down the road. And without engaging any further, like in the professional side of sport or like following the sport at all, I just started riding my bike and I was like, this is the fastest thing I can do. Uh, and so this is what I'm going to do all the time. And, uh, and we were lived on a, it's hard to explain. We like lived on kind of like a, an, an island that was like a dead end road in, in, in like an estuary in like a river system. And, uh, and so I would just ride up and down, do maps of the island, and then I slowly progressed further and further out. And uh, 
And Lockie and I were quite close. And so, of course, you know, he sort of followed, you know, relatively soon after I uh, was doing it. He's like, well, I'll do it too. And, uh, and, and yeah, the rest is kind of history. We, we uh, yeah, we happened to have a coach in our town. Uh, a guy, sorry, we had, we, we had a guy in our town, um, Graham Sears, who uh, was an Olympian in the 1980 Olympic Games, um, really successful bike rider both on the track and on the road, and uh, and just a great, yeah, just a, just a funny dude. And, and he, he, he kind of recognised early on that we were pretty intense kids uh, and pretty, you know, competitive. Uh, and so he sort of started to coach us and... and, and yeah, from about ten years of age, you kind of for about ten years after that, uh, he he looked after us, and that was yeah, it was awesome. It was uh, it was a pretty interesting time, you know. I think I decided when I was ten years of age that, or eleven years of age, that that I was going to be a bike rider, and, and that's what I was going to do for a living. And uh, and yeah, away we went. That's awesome. That's funny because like I've had a lot of people on the podcast so far, and like none of them have the have given me the story about how they learned how to ride a bike. So that's cool yeah. to hear. Cause like I was about the same age. I would think I was about three and then I did my first BMX race when I was like five. So really? yeah. And like my dad grew up racing motocross that was like his thing. Gotcha. So he tried to get me into motocross, but I, uh, broke my collarbone when I was like six. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, I think that on I just, yeah, on the, on the motorcycle. And then yeah. I, yeah, pretty much focused, I think on BMX until I was like 15. And, yeah, that's... and, uh, and then I got my license and, you know, gave up bikes for a long time. But <laughs> is there like, is there a big BMX scene? here in the States? Uh, you know, I grew up in Texas and yeah. there's a huge BMX scene in, in Texas, or at least there was in the nineties. And, <laughs> yeah. um, I think there still is, but when I first moved to Colorado, there was one BMX track and it kind of sucked. And, um, cause I moved to Colorado. My family moved here when I was 14 okay. and, from what I could tell, like there wasn't that community really. So I kind of just did like dirt jumping and stuff when I first moved here and I stopped racing. So I was about 14, 15. Yeah. And then, uh, but now, I mean, I think there's like within a, within like half an hour of where I live in Denver, like there's at least three BMX tracks that I know of. So I don't know if it's growing or what, but. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I know in, 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 in Australia, a lot of guys like Robin McEwen's a, a, an ultimate example, but came through that BMX system. And I remember it was it was BMX and track. Like I remember when I, you know, my family has no history of cycling. Um, you know, we just very much like stumbled upon it and we're just kind of feeling it out. And, you know, I remember going to like my first state championships at 11 years of age and riding again and racing against kids that had been, on the track and on BMX since they were like four years of old, four years of age, you know, like you're 11 and they've got six years of racing under their belt. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just pretty funny. But, uh, so I never had that. Like we kind of did it a slightly different way, but I'm, I'm intrigued by those guys. Cause I remember at the time I was kind of jealous of them. I was like, man, these guys have got this head start on me. Um, I'm a little bit pissed about that, <laughs> but, but now looking back on it, it's kind of a funny thing. And I, and I often wonder, like, I wonder if I would have lasted, you know, like 
past 12 years of age if I had started racing my bike when I was like five or six. Um, yeah, I mean, I took it for granted, you know what I mean? I was just like, I yeah. think that I almost kind of regretted in some ways because I think I was in the expert class of the ABA at the time by the time I was... <clears throat> in my age group when I was like 10 or something. <laughs> and then I was in the, yeah. and then I was in the expert class up until I was like 13. And then I remember I got like dropped down to intermediate. And then that was like really discouraging. Cause I went up in age or whatever. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, you're like 14 and you're like, Oh man, I got to start over. And then, <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm hearing you like, and I, I'm intrigued by that because like, you know, I mean, of course, like, like I've, I've, you know, stopped and started several times in in this sport throughout my life, and I, and and I remember my mum asking me, uh, not that long ago, actually, um, she was like, "What could have we done differently?" You know, like, which is kind of a funny thing, like, <laughs> yeah. But she's sort of like, you know, you know, like, well, yeah, she, what should we done? And I was like, well, look, I don't, do you know? To be honest, I've got no idea, like, because we never had any pressure the pressure came from ourselves, from, from us, like as kids just being super competitive. And, and that sort of made me think, and a lot of people ask me, um, oh, what do I do? What do I need to do to become a professional? Or what's your advice or that sort of stuff? And, and it's kind of torn because obviously, you know, if you start running a bike at four years of age, physiologically, physiologically, excuse me, um, you're going to have benefits, you know, you're growing up on the machine, like you're going to, to, to adapt and, and have so much more um, efficiency uh, on that machine. But the counteraction of that is that like, will you be sick of it by the time you're 12? And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to, to hear, you know, like people who start riding at, at, at such a young age and are able to continue it or, or, or whatever. And, and look, to be honest, like, I don't know, there's no answer. There's no you know, there's no right answer. Like, I'm not really sure how to do it, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I mean, like everyone's different and has different experiences. Cause I was just talking to like Kira McVitie. Uh, yeah. so I was just talking to her for my last episode uh, that just came out and then, you know, she started racing when she was 12, <laughs> mm. you know, now she's 22 and you know, she's like killing it a red hook. She had a rough season last year with her like first pro road season, but but yeah, she still seems to have that like passion and like grew up around cycling and her parents were cyclists and all that stuff. And that's just so different than my experience and sounding like way different from yours. So it's always interesting to kind of hear people's backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, totally, totally. And I, I exactly like you, you, you know, for every success story, there's a, a, a failure story from the same, you know, that, that, that are born from the same, uh, from the same bush and then. Vice yeah. versa, you know, for every story, like, well, that person didn't succeed. There's, you know, that yeah. grew up differently. Uh, someone comes out of it, it's good, you know. Like, there's plenty of bike riders who have started racing in their 20s. You know, Richie Port is a perfect example of a guy who, you know, like kind of came out of nowhere in his 20s and, like, he's a phenomenal athlete. Like, yeah. Absolutely incredible athlete, you know, one of the absolute best in the world. And, you know, he sort of, he did it completely differently to, to, to what the handbook says. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's one of those things where the biggest, the biggest indicator of, well, I think you know, it's, it's all about your head. You know, it's, it's a hard sport and it requires a lot of you on any level. And, and it's like anything. Um, and if you can enjoy it and, and maintain that joy, then I feel like you'll be good at it regardless 
you know, regardless of your physiology, like you speak to a lot of people and they're like, oh, well, you know, in the end it boils down to talent and, and all of that. But you're like, well, it doesn't though, you know, like if you have, I mean, obviously talent plays an, a role in it, but that's like, you know, that's not the first hurdle that you have to jump across. You know, you have to actually enjoy the sport and have to be happy doing it and be able to like, you know, be into it because it requires so much of you. And then, you know, maybe that last 5%, yeah, well, if you were born with, with, with the genes, but you can get pretty far just by, just by being into it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you see, like, I mean, you're coming into, which is why you're on the show, right? You're coming into the fixed gear world. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, like, that world is, like, notorious for people that are, like, from so many different backgrounds. Like, you have people that are, like, bike messengers. You have now, like, yeah. Uh, you know, road pros, track pros, like all this stuff that are coming to it. And you have these like messengers, like keeping up in the pack with people that have been, you know, road racers for forever. So, <laughs> yeah, which is, I think what, I mean, that's a very, like, that's something that's really awesome. Uh, and what draws me to this, to this part of the sport um, is that, so like, I feel like now there's that X factor that I'm not, that, I hate that. I hate that expression, but you know, like the unknown, like the mystique of, of like what it takes to be good yeah. doesn't exist anymore, you know, because we can monitor everything. We're so, you know, uh, we're so technologically uh, advanced that we can, you know, we can monitor like, you know, the level of blood ketones, you know, we can work out how much carbohydrate versus fat we're using at any given heart rate. And it's super easy to do. You know, I can go down to, the local uni here and do a test and, and ascertain that I can put a ultrasound on my legs and work out my glycogen levels, you know, yeah. what the saturation is. And, and so like, it's just removed all of the beauty of it. You know, it's also mm-hmm. controlled now. And so, and, and, and the way in which, you know, when, as soon as you essentially like you put a climb in a race or you make something that's purely physiological, then you're going to get, you know, a prescribed result, like a result that you just have to look like. You may as well just write down everybody's numbers at the beginning of the stage, how much they weigh, what their threshold is, and you'll know the answer to the, to the end of the race. I mean, it's slightly more complicated than that, but, you know, it's not that much more complicated than that. And yeah. that's where I feel, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not becoming a sport anymore at, at that professional level. It's becoming, it's becoming an experiment. Yeah, you know, like how can we tweak tweak someone's training in order to get more benefit uh, and, and a slight advantage, and as opposed to it being like, well, this person has, you know, this person's just an athlete. This person's like just a, I can't explain it. They're a freak of nature. You know, they're brilliant, and and I feel like in that fixed gear world because it's burgeoning and and there is this mixture of 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 different, um, I guess, different backgrounds within it. You know, I feel like that that plays a big role in it, um, and also because it is grass, grassroots and there is a community surrounding it, and there is, you know, so many different factors that I think you can be good and you can be successful in that sport, and you can and you can take, you know, you can take great satisfaction from it uh, in, in more ways than you can, you know, from from the road professional side, I guess. 
Yeah, I see that. I see that really happening too, like with the growth of like Red Hook and stuff. And then mm. also with the growth of like gravel racing, I yeah. feel like people are craving that kind of more grassroots, like just fucking get on your bike and push as hard as you can. Dude, and, you, like I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Like I, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I have a big belief that, you know, it's shifting now. And, and people, instead of being fans of, of a sport, like, and, and, and having their, their heroes, they're like, no, I want to be a part of something myself and, and not because I want to win or because I want to, uh, you know, be famous. It's like, no, I just want to like, I want to challenge myself. I kind of want to take myself to a place that I haven't been yet. And that's what I want out of my sport. And I'm more drawn to that than I am drawn to like some formulated, you know, systematic uh, point system that I can, you know, I go to my local crit and I start in category four and I accumulate the points to get to category one. They're like, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm more interested in just seeing how far I can push myself and where I can take myself and in what environments. And, you know, people are very much after, well, I feel like, you know, and I guess it's with the oversaturation of technology and, you know, all this sort of stuff, they're kind of trying to find an escape and trying to find something that's like, more real I don't know like it sounds quite cheesy but no for it, real. it's quite it's quite true though you know like I'm I will I'm 100% attest to it that you know there is something that's special that happens to you when you when you really push yourself and and particularly when you know it's not necessarily like to beat your best friend uh in a way that you can or like beat the next guy in a way that you can be like yeah I smoked you like I'm the best <laughs> it's more you know in a way that's more like yes I got you this time yeah. Because last time you got me, or I don't know, or like I did a better time than I did last time, and I don't know. This, yeah, there's like the competitiveness is changing a little bit, and I think people's desire um, and, and, and desire for satisfaction is, is is more complex and deeper than potentially it was before, or maybe people's desires to be a part of it uh, instead of instead of being a spectator, they want to be a participant now, and and they're finding that there's more satisfaction in some of these other events. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what it is but it seems to be going that way yeah i think that i think part of it is like maybe i mean i don't know how old you are but i'm thinking that maybe we're around the same age group (laughs) um 28 yeah so i'm 32 so yeah close so so it's like uh i think our kind of generation and it's kind of like changing from just being people that like and you know, this is like just a generalization, but there are a lot of studies about it where like people that are around our age group are kind of more interested in experiences rather mm. than just, you know, spending money on whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or being, being like dominant. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, and I, I've noticed that in myself, like when I was a kid, I was brutal, man. Like, I was a real asshole. <laughs> I would win at all costs on on everything that I thought mattered, you know, like Yeah. And and if I didn't win, like I would be cut up about it. Like I would be really offended and you know, I would become emotional and, and, and angry and I would cry and all of these sort of things and and like it's it's interesting because, you know, returning to, to cycling, my motivations weren't necessarily to win it was it was very much based around i want to experience this 
you know, I want to experience this lifestyle. I want to experience, you know, what it takes uh, to be a professional cyclist and a professional athlete and whether or not I have what it takes and, and how far I can take it. And and I quite quickly realized that, like, when I got there and when I started racing, like, I was a bit of a square peg, you know, in a round hole. Like, my motivations were more... I don't know, I just didn't have that competitiveness that I had before. You know, I didn't want to, like, kill the next guy in order to win. I was kind of more interested in just being a part of it and, and kind of witnessing how certain people act and, and that sort of stuff. And I can't explain, like, why that happened, you know. Like, but it, but it's, it, it changed for me, you know, very much my, my, my desires uh, and what I valued within the sport changed. And, and I think that that was probably ultimately what led me to not being successful on my return to the sport but I wouldn't necessarily change like when I say successful like I didn't have results necessarily I didn't uh, achieve the certain things that maybe I wanted to but would I change that like no I'm kind of I feel like I'm far more grounded and happy uh, being the way that I am Um, but it's interesting because you are seeing that as a more wider spread thing now you know like like most of my friends don't care about sport yeah. at that top level but far more people are participating in in physical activity than I remember as a kid maybe or, or interested in, in it uh, uh, than, than I remember like you know 10 years ago um, so yeah I don't know I mean I haven't looked at the numbers or anything like that so I can't necessarily speak uh, factually on that but I don't know what it is I don't know how to explain it, but uh, it seems to be that's the way it's going. Yeah, I noticed that a lot too. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, your history as a cyclist mm-hmm. at the top level or as a pro or whatever in your career and like how that panned out. Yeah. Well, what do you want to know? Um, um, like start <laughs> I mean, that's from, I mean, lot, had, so. <laughs> like, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's sort of weird for me. It's not weird, but like I kind of had these two disjointed uh, periods as a professional. <laughs> do you want me to start from the first one? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. So like, I, cause, cause of the, what I want to do with this is like kind of talk about, cause I haven't had anyone on the show yet that is c- coming to like the fixed gear racing world from the road world, you know, that hasn't already done it. So I'm kind of like, you know, get that arc in there. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Well, well, I should start by, so in Australia, you, um, so I was, like I started winning state titles. Like I said earlier, I decided I was going to be professional when I was like 10 or 11, uh, years of age and very much, like that was my life from that age. You know, I didn't care about school, you know, like if, if having friends was convenient, I would have them, but if it became inconvenient, like I didn't care, it was like all about the bike and, you know, to the point where like at 13 years of age, I was doing, you know, physiological testing and, 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 and working with, you know, a Spanish coach. And then I was traveling to the U S to do altitude training camps at the age of 14. And, and, and I mean, and it's probably not quite as as dramatic as that sounds uh, in the way that it that it worked uh, in, the, in our intentions behind it. But that's that's how it kind of yeah it was. And 
so yeah, I was very much uh, obsessed with it. And part of the program uh, in order to become successful at the time in, in Australia was you had to be part of the track program. And I hated the track. You know, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I raced on it. Uh, I enjoyed the Madison. I raced um, the Pursuit, Tees Pursuit, that sort of stuff. Like I, I, I got quite into that. And, and, and I mean, I got a couple of national medals and, and bits and pieces like going through the ages. But I was going through the age, I was going through that age group with like Cam Meyer and Travis Meyer and Jack Bobridge and Lee Howard. You know, these like superstar track athletes um, and and same on the road, we we're kind of coming up and we we're all so competitive and it's interesting now that, you know, I mean, I guess Cam Meyer's surviving uh, at that top level but no one else is, none, none of those, those guys that were kind of at that level uh, when we were kids are there anymore. But the point is like it's it, what I find is interesting about me now ending up, I guess, racing fixed gear is like there was a long period of time where I was like I hate this <laughs> I don't want to race like I don't want to race the track I don't want to be involved in this uh, and and so yeah so anyway I uh, I at the age of 18 I'd kind of been to junior worlds and done that and had a few ups and downs um, surrounding that and the Drapak team kind of came I'd been they'd been kind of courting me I don't know like I'd stage for them and we were kind of talking and essentially I, uh, I signed my first pro contract as a junior with that team and um, and I went there, which was awesome because part of their program at that time was they wanted me to enroll in university and study part-time and, and you know, further my, uh, further my education in case, well, ultimately when I in my career, you know, so I could, it could help me transition out into a job. And I'd been homeschooled for the last few years um, because I got kicked out of school uh, for missing too much of school because I'd been away racing at the world championships and in the, in the States and bits and pieces. So like my school kind of kicked me out. And so I'd been homeschooled. So I'd, yeah, it was kind of weird. I became like, I was, I don't know, I was very isolated and, and, and whatever. And uh, so I signed my first pro contract and, and, and kicked things off at the Tour of Qatar. And I remember I was racing um, and there was, uh, you know, his name escapes me, but there was a guy there who turned pro the year I was born uh, and, and we were racing together. And there was one day in particular I remember where it, like, Tour of Guitar is crazy windy uh, and it echelons out and it's kind of like you kind of get in this hierarchy and you're getting dropped. It's very, it's very funny. It happens a lot in pro cycling. Like any race you do, you kind of get dropped with the same – people because you know there's obviously everyone's at similar like the people that are at similar levels are going to get dropped at the same time and, and I remember getting dropped every single day with this dude who had turned who was like had turned pro uh, when I was born and so it was it was pretty weird and, and that was kind of a funny thing but anyway uh, I got quite sick I got like a really bad parasite um, in my first year as a professional and this is probably what ultimately led me to leaving the sport because I got really sick. I kind of started because I couldn't ride my bike. I kind of got into uni and, and got into school and and was like, oh wow, there's this whole different world out there. And, and anyway, and and I came, when I came back the very first day, I got the green light to uh, to train properly again. I, I I decided for some stupid reason to go downhill mountain biking on a um, on a ski slope. <laughs> 
uh, in the summer and I, of course, had a crash and, and, and shattered my shoulder and had to have surgery and all that sort of stuff. So it just became a hell of a year and, and one of those things where you're just constantly coming back and I was like, man, all these kids at school are having way more fun, you know, like they're out partying and they're out like, like they get to make movies and they get to do all this cool shit. Like what the fuck am I doing riding my bike? Like this is just constantly painful. Uh, and, and, and so the seed was kind of planted. Um, and when I was sort of 19, I guess, and I continued on for two more years, went to Europe and, 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 uh, I remember being in Europe and, and just being like, what am I doing here? Like, I hate this, you know? Uh, and, and yeah, I just pulled the plug. Like I, uh, yeah, I was just like, they wanted me to, like, it was like, I'd signed a three year contract and they wanted me to renew my contract. And I was about to turn 21. Uh, it was the end of my contract. Uh, at, the, at the end of that year and I was just like nah I'm done and uh, and they were like what? okay right and so I, I kind of yeah stopped uh, I've sort of told this story many times I guess but I was supposed to join my brother uh, on over at Slipstream and, uh, and 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 told them like nah I'm not coming I'm, I'm just going to go home and so yeah I went home and, and, and moved into film I guess so like my first that first part of my professional career, I guess, as you would, you know, you could probably very loosely call it, was um, was kind of very up and down, and 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 I guess it's spent with a lot of time like me growing up, like because because we've been so involved and obsessed with the sport from such a young age, and I guess like being taken to and from races, whether it be with your parents or the or the state or national team and whatever, and then. When I finally kind of became an adult and it was like up to me, I could kind of make decisions. I was sort of like, oh shit, what do I, do I really want to do this? What am I doing? And so it was very flippant and, and I guess I didn't necessarily ride that well or I wasn't that focused and ultimately, yeah, I, I, I quit um, in, in oh, I forget what year it was, like 2010, I guess, end of 2010. Okay. And uh, and yeah, went, went, went and studied film. Uh, well, it was st- I was studying film. Um, and, and so I went and did that full time and, and then it ultimately, uh, yeah, ended up doing that for a period of time. That's awesome. I'm also a film person as well. So (laughs) I, I went to school for filmmaking and stuff and I still make films, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Have that parallel as well. Yeah. Nice. So it's beautiful. Film is a beautiful thing. I love it. Like honestly, Mm. like, uh, in my late teens, early twenties, like I kind of wasn't really doing anything and got obsessed with like films. And like, I think that they like kind of opened my mind to like a lot of different things. And, and like, I think that between like film music and like my bike, that those are like the three things that like, (laughs) you know, helped me make it to a, at least the age I'm at. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, it's, yeah, I, I found that, like, I hated school. I yeah. never, never, like, I just never got the hang of it. And, and I, I guess it was just because, like, I hated the fact that teachers would tell me what to do. <laughs> I, have a big issue, I have a big issue with authority. I Dude, guess. me too. Me too. And and like, I had yeah. the biggest problem listening to teachers. I'd be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah, like, all would be going fine. Everything yeah. would be fine until the teacher would be like, I feel like you can do better. And you're like, do you know what? 
fuck you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're like, you want you like you think I can do better? You're like, you look how bad I can go. Like, it was just a competition. I don't know. <laughs> and I did that, and I think back to it. And I'm like, what are you thinking, man? You made your life so much harder by doing that. <laughs> That's what I would do. Um, and I feel like film was was one of those things where like, if I wanted to go and see like. You know, I, I felt like it was something that I could go and see, like, all of the extremes of the human condition. Yeah. And, like, not be judged or, like, not be necessarily told, like, what I should or shouldn't like or what I should and should watch. And and so I, that's what I, I, I feel like I learned a lot and became fascinated by the, the ability to be able to go and see, like, yeah, like, like the extreme spectrum of, of uh, human emotion and human condition and, like, you know, human uh, personality. Yeah. And, and just be able to do it in my own time and, as a, and, you know, and be told it by these people that were, you know, by, by, by directors and producers that shared, well, all, all that I felt shared like similar worldviews to me. And, and that's what kind of really, I mean, that's what I really liked about it was that like, you know, I first got into film because I was, um, I traveled a lot racing and, and, and you, you meet people obviously, um, and you'd be in Japan and you would meet a, a Japanese man or a Japanese woman and they would start talking to you and you're like, man, your life is, for me, it's completely like it's un, it's incomprehensible, you know, uh, because I can't quite, I can't imagine what it's like to live here. You know, I'm not from here. It's, I can't, yeah, imagine what it's like. Like not, in, and I don't mean, I don't mean in like a, a traumatic way or anything. Yeah. I just mean like I'm, I can't put myself in your shoes. Like it's blowing my mind. And, and this was happening, you know, you're going to the Middle East and you're going to Southeast Asia and you're going to, you know, you're going to Europe and Northern Europe and everywhere, America. And, and I was like, man, there's all this like crazy, interesting people around, like everywhere, you know, like this is a normal dude. Um, and, and so I was like, I want to go and make documentary. And then, and then from documentary, I was like, wait, I don't even have to find the real person. I don't even have to find real people. I can just make these stories up. I can just make universes up. And, and that's kind of ultimately what led me towards towards fiction, um, uh, which I kind of, I guess I was doing scripted uh, comedy before I ultimately came back to to cycling. But that's kind of where I was headed was I wanted to go into drama and, 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 and that fiction world um, because I was like, you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. You, know, you can create this whole world. Like it doesn't have to be based in fact at all. Um, I honestly remember seeing like I think the first Godard film I ever saw <laughs> and like I grew up listening to like punk and hardcore and all that stuff and I was like dude this movie is like punk as fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it was I don't remember if it was Breathless or like or if it was one of the later ones was the f- no I think the first one I saw was Masculine Feminine if you've seen that I don't know yeah yeah that movie just like that movie just I was like, oh, this is like the origins of like that fuck you attitude. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just like, I'm gonna make whatever movie I want. And I and and then I like came across all these like super low budget films and stuff, and I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting. One of my friends uh from high school who is like best friends with a bunch of my friends. Like her band was on Jimmy Kimmel the other night. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. And just like That's seeing sick. that. And then like one of my friends is like producing a show on CNN, like another kid I was friends yeah, with in that same, uh, in that same crowd. Mm. And they both moved out to LA and like, you know, everybody's like, Oh sure. You're going to do like 
you know, the move to LA and whatever. I don't know. And then now they're both doing this stuff and you're just like, mm. it's about doing it and it's about putting yourself out there and doing the thing. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like exactly. It's about biting the bullet. Yeah. And, and, and I mean like I've always, I felt like, yeah, like I mean like I hear that phrase. I'm someone who like acts very impulsively Yeah. Uh, on things. Like I think things through but like, like you know, you like like you might put an idea into my head, and you're like, "Do you know what? That actually sounds like a really good idea." I'm gonna like dedicate 100 percent of my life to like making that happen, or seeing if I want that. You know, like I'll just go all in on things, and 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 I feel like that can like I don't know, can like lead you. You're exactly right. Like it, it leads you to do things, yeah. And irrespective if they end up the way they are, like at least you're doing something. At least you're like behind it. As opposed to being like, well, the reality of me succeeding in that is like pretty low. Or it's like, oh, well, all, all the issues in like me getting there, uh, you know, it's too much. It's too much. The risk is too high or whatever. And, and I mean, maybe, maybe that comes from being an athlete and like having traveled most of my life that like I don't feel like I really have like a home city that I'm attached to or a place that I'm attached to so like moving around is easy and like committing to things is is kind of easy maybe but like yeah I feel like if you if you just do it most like a lot of the time if you just do it and work hard like you get there yeah you know because I mean that's like who else is going to do the job like someone's got to do it for sure you know why can't it be you (laughs) yeah just go and do it (laughs) you know (laughs) Yeah, so what have you been listening to like while you're training and stuff right now? Okay, so two bands have been like big in my they've been my go-tos um, at the moment. And it's funny because like we just we just did like a, a Disc Breaks podcast and, 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 and Emily May talks about like going back to a go-to album and when you travel a lot, you know, there's always that come down, like you're flying home you yeah. realize like you were alone you know it's kind of that moment where you're like all of the, the all of the kerfuffle around a race all of the excitement all of the intensity is gone and that fatigue sets in you're like oh my god I'm going back to my normal life like what the fuck yeah and so you have these albums that you go back to and and they change obviously over time and, and I've very much in the last few weeks I've been having those like I've been very much using the bike as an escape uh from like just reality, I guess, in the, in the last few weeks. Anyway, so two bands, uh, a, a young LA guy who goes by the name of gold star. Uh, and, and he has two albums. Um, and so I've been listening to him. I've been listening to those albums on repeat. Um, nice. and then he's awesome. Like he's kind of, he's country blues. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I can't. I cannot speak more highly of it. Um, I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. I yeah, like that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I feel like exactly. If you like like a bit of rock and roll, like a little bit more bluesy country, then you'll be good with that. Um, and then uh, the other band, which has kind of taken me a little bit out of, just uh, kind of come at me a little bit out of nowhere, but the Horrors. Nice. Uh, and the Horrors' most recent album, and so like for me, the Horrors have match my musical taste identically their progression like I remember discovering them in 2003 2004 when they were like gothic punk you know like this very loud very angry music and and I was very much into that at the time and then as they've gone on 
you know, they've kind of moved from being this angry gothic punk to like, you know, slightly more uh, like new wave and then it's progressed from new wave into like psychedelic kind of and it's progressed from psychedelic into like psychedelic electronica. And I followed their progression very much, my musical tastes have matched it until the album, uh, they just, like the album just before this one, uh, which was called Higher or... I can't think of the name anyway. But anyway, they just released their most recent album and uh, and it's called Machine or something like that. And, and the first track, I like, I heard it months ago and I was like, no, nah, I don't like it. I don't like the horrors anymore. And then I went back to it for some reason and holy fuck, I can't stop listening to it. Like, <laughs> I it love when that the, happens. Dude, it's like the first time in years that I've like put an album on, played it through, started again, started it again and like played it through again. I've had a couple of times where I've like played the album twice in a row. Uh, so anyway, for whatever reason. Uh, so those, those are the two albums. The Horrors, most recent one, and, uh, and Gold Star. Nice. This yeah. isn't when I'm training, but lately when I'm like climbing, mm-hmm. I've been obsessed with listening to Brian Eno uh, music oh, yeah. for airports. Just like that dreamy yeah. ambient like escape yeah. everything kind of <laughs> yeah me and uh, a me and a group of guys are talking about doing mount evans on fixed gear bikes this summer <laughs> oh, yeah so that. yeah we're gonna do it uh it's, that's that's bold that's yeah a bold move yeah it'll be fun i'm gonna we're gonna yeah. do it and then that's gonna be i think my album <laughs> for keep, me, keep, keep me in the loop on that yeah uh, because if i'm if I'm able to get there, I would love to do that. So is there anything you want to say before we head out? No, no, there, good, you want to, you want to send good. people out to, to your social media, to disc breaks, all that stuff. Yeah, I guess, uh, hit up disc breaks, uh, at disc breaks or discbreaks.com and do some reading. Yeah. Go because read. The, the, <laughs> the, exactly. The interviews are like, they're legit. They're really, really good. Like people like the, the Schneider sisters, like Cassie and Nui Adama, like, you know, even Tella Finney, like Mike Woods, I was talking about Tom Southam, like Christian House, all these people have, who are my heroes, you know, people that I like have a huge amount of respect for. And they've done this really big in-depth interviews, you know, about stuff that they, they're not normally interviewed about. And I think that, you know, if you like music, uh, and you're also interested in like human story, go there and read them. Like, because it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. Like, you know, because I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things like I'm not blowing my own horn. Like I didn't fuck all to like make them good. It was just the people that answered the questions, you know, uh, and, and they answer them in really honest ways and, and it's been great. So yeah, yeah, go check it out. And I'll put a link to uh, disc breaks in the show notes and to thereabouts. Appreciate that. So, yeah, and keep and everyone keep an eye on thereabouts. Like I can't speak directly about what we're about to do because we've got to wait like a couple of weeks or something or other. But yeah, we're going to do some really cool stuff. A lot more stuff uh, coming out this year. And I, I think I think we're going to see thereabouts like reach its peak. You know, it's reached its true potential. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Angus, for doing this. Thanks, man. Yeah. No worries. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Save the Track Bike. 
thanks again for tuning in. It's really rad. Uh, yeah, you guys are great. Anyway, whatever. So today's episode was produced by David Draper. The music was by Vitamin Pets. Thanks to O'Wheelie Bike Shop. And keep an eye out for next week's episode with Levi Blue. Now go ride your bike, whatever bike, wherever.